What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports. Of course, I am Heavy Sports Senior NFL Insider Matt Lombardo. We're about a week and a half out from the Super Bowl, less than a week away from the NFL Combine getting underway in Indianapolis. And you know what that means. The NFL offseason is about to kick into high gear. We're going to get into all of it all of the top storylines, some reporting that I have over the last 24 to 36 hours on some of the biggest names hitting the open market based on my conversations with sources around the NFL. And we'll preview the quarterback carousel that really seems like it's about to kick into gear. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago that as the offseason approached, that the quarterback carousel would be a lot more entertaining and a lot more impactful than the coaching carousel. Well, All of the head coaching vacancies have been filled, and now it's up to the quarterbacks. There are some big names still on the market, some of them making some big demands. We're going to get into all of that and a whole lot more. But before we do, as always, a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, if you like the show, if you're big on the guests, if you're a fan of the analysis, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, toss us a like on YouTube. Check us out on the new heavy.com video portal. You're going to love it there. All kinds of insight and analysis there, not just from this show, but across the NFL landscape as well. So check us out on the heavy video portal. You're going to love it. And if you're a big fan of the podcast, then please go ahead and leave us a five-star review in the Apple podcast, or it really helps grow the show. Let us know what you like, maybe some stuff that you think we could build on, and a guest or two that you'd love to hear from, and we will go and get them. And as I mentioned at the top, the NFL Combine gets underway next week in Indianapolis in earnest, and that really is the kickoff event of the NFL offseason. I know that the legal tampering period isn't for another couple of weeks into mid-March where teams can start to talk off the record and negotiate deals, wink, wink, nod, nod, about where these players are going to sign and all of that. But I'm here to tell you, the real dirty work, the nitty-gritty of free agency, the groundwork for these deals, and a lot of times even the deals themselves, wink, wink, they get negotiated at Prime 47 Steakhouse, at Giordano's Pizza, at the lobby of the JW Marriott, and a couple of places that I'm not going to reveal. Because the entire league, all of the coaches, all of the general managers, all of the scouts, every agent with a client who's hitting free agency or competing in the combine getting ready for the NFL draft, everybody in the NFL descends on that one or two block radius of Indianapolis. And that's where free agency's dirty work really gets done. And that's where the offseason moves are made. That's where a couple years ago, we all remember the video of John Dorsey and Dave Gettleman sitting at the Combine in Indianapolis. And that's when the trade was negotiated back during the NFL draft when those two were talking. We all remember how that went down. It all happens in Indy. This is when the offseason really kicks into gear, really gets underway, and the deals start to get made. And a couple of the biggest deals yet to be made, When it comes not only to free agency, but the quarterback carousel itself, all eyes are on New York. All eyes are on Big Apple football when it comes to the quarterback position with Derek Carr visiting the New York Jets recently and some big demands being made by Daniel Jones. And let's start with Derek Carr because we touched on this last week on the podcast. I wrote about it on heavy.com that when you look at Derek Carr's options in free agency, when you look at the teams that need quarterbacks, The Jets very well might be the best fit. They might be the best situation. And as an AFC scouting director told me, the Jets give Carr, quote, the best offensive supporting cast around him. And I think he's right. When you look at the young talent around Derek Carr in New York, if that's where he lands with the Jets, 
You have Garrett Wilson at wide receiver. You have Brees Hall at running back. They could really beef up the offensive line, but that's where I think the Jets going all in on Derek Carr and allowing all of the drama around Aaron Rodgers kind of falling to the wayside. I think it's the right move both for Carr and for New York, not just because of the supporting cast that's already there for Carr, but if I'm the Jets, I'm going all in and I'm doing everything I can to sign Derek Carr. Forget about the darkness retreat. Forget about solitary confinement. Forget about the track record and the resume that Aaron Rodgers brings with him from the Green Bay Packers. The reason that I would go in on Derek Carr is he doesn't cost any draft capital. You're not weakening your positioning to keep building around Derek Carr, around a franchise quarterback who's around a top 15 or 16 quarterback in the NFL by most measures and most metrics in a division where you need to keep pace with the Buffalo Bills because they're not going anywhere as long as Josh Allen's the quarterback and Stephon Diggs is there and that defense is flying around to the football at the level that it has the last couple of years. The Miami Dolphins are getting better. And another year in Mike McDaniel's system is only going to benefit to a tug of Iloa. So if you're the Jets, you need to keep building. You need to get your quarterback situation shored up more than anything else. But this is one of the more dynamic and exciting offensive collection of skill players in the league right now in terms of potential over the next two or three years. They have a window. And I think that Derek Hart opens and extends that window for the Jets to climb into the playoff picture and make some noise in the AFC East. Because here's the thing. If you sign Derek Carr rather than trading multiple first-round picks for Aaron Rodgers, whose best days very well might be behind him, you can go and take the best offensive tackle in this class at number 13. Maybe you want to get greedy and you want to add another wide receiver to that receiving core, give him another weapon. Go take TCU's Quentin Jones. Maybe you can trade back to take him. Move back to pick 15 or 16 and pick up an additional second or third-round pick. But the bottom line is, if you're the Jets, Derek Carr gives you the luxury of not only simultaneously getting closer to a playoff berth and maybe more than that, because we've all seen teams get hot at the right time in the postseason and make deep postseason runs. The AFC is a gauntlet. But the only way the Jets climb into that gauntlet is by having a quarterback. Derek Carr gives you the chance to simultaneously build a playoff caliber roster in 2023 and keep building over the next two or three seasons with even more young talent, even more explosive skill players, even more high-octane offensive firepower than you'd be able to get if you trade multiple picks for Aaron Rodgers. So if I'm Joe Douglas, if I'm Robert Saleh, if I'm the New York Jets, I'd be going all in on Derek Carr, and I think it's a great fit for Carr, and it best positions the Jets to build a playoff caliber roster for the next several years around Derek Carr as the face of their franchise and their franchise quarterback. But the Jets' neighbors in East Rutherford at MetLife Stadium with the New York Giants and their quarterback situation, it might not be quite as fluid as what the Jets are up against, whether it's Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, or no one, Jimmy Garoppolo. They have Daniel Jones. And There's been a lot of talk this week, and I've seen on talk radio, on the Twitter sphere, on other podcasts, people are all up in arms. People have lost their minds that Daniel Jones has asked for $42 million per year on his new deal. And listen, I asked around a lot, both on the team side and to agents inside the league who have quarterbacks who are familiar with the quarterback market. And the sense among those on both sides of the ledger, both sides of the negotiating table, the team side and the agent side, is 
that Daniel Jones's market value is somewhere around what Ryan Tannehill got, which was $29.5 million per year. Now, if you've been watching this podcast, if you've been listening to me, if you've been following me on Twitter, I've tweeted about this, I've written about this, we've talked about it on the show, I've been told consistently that Daniel Jones's market value is between 30 to $35 million plus from people who would know, from people who represent the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, from people on the other side who are in buildings around the NFL, 30 to $35 million is about the reasonable price tag and the expected value for Daniel Jones to the New York Giants or on the open market because we all know there are quarterback needy teams out there. So let's think this through a little bit. If Ryan Tannehill's deal was $29.5 million per year and the franchise tag this season is $32.5 million, where does that leave Daniel Jones? That leaves Daniel Jones in that magical range of 30 to $35 million plus. So people can lose their minds. They can scream and yell. They could talk about, oh, how can Daniel Jones demand that much money? That's how negotiations play out. The agent, and this is why Lamar Jackson is doing himself a disservice by not having an agent. The agent, especially when you start talking about the higher echelon agencies like CAA, who Daniel Jones just left, and Athletes First who represents some of the premier quarterbacks in the league, this is what they do. They control the narrative. They drive out this number into the public sphere. You throw it out there. Hey, we want $42 million. I had an agent tell me that that ask, it is what it is. He's in favor of players getting the most money that they can, but that's just an agent doing his job asking for $42 million per year. I don't think Daniel Jones gets it. I don't think that he's played his way into that conversation. He had a nice year. But I think the Giants won, and we've talked about this, because of Saquon Barkley's emergence and because of a defense that got timely turnovers, played their best football late in games, and they were hyper-competitive and hyper-aggressive around Brian Dable's beliefs. That's why they won. So when I look at Daniel Jones's situation with the New York Giants or hitting free agency, I really think the number comes in, and I've been pretty steady on this based on conversations I've had, between 30 to $35 million or a little bit more. So when I look at this situation, I think that's where it winds up settling. And I think he winds up back with the Giants somewhere around that number. And boy, if you're Joe Shane, if you're Brian Dable, I don't know how you don't look in the mirror. And I know you can't look back. I know that the benefit of hindsight is 2020, and everybody makes decisions based on the information they have at hand. But wouldn't it be nice to have one more season to evaluate Daniel Jones on that rookie deal? rather than needing to commit to him after this past season, when maybe you could have gone out and you could have shopped to the top of the wide receiver market. You could have gone out and bought the best offensive tackle in free agency. Maybe you go get Taylor Luan. Maybe you keep surrounding Daniel Jones with weapons, and then you make the decision whether or not to pay him $37 million over the next four years, which I think is where this thing winds up settling. Wouldn't that be nice? The Giants lost that opportunity. Speaking of lost opportunities, there's a reason why Eric Bieniemy hasn't become a head coach in the NFL to this point. And I think that based on the track record of success of the Kansas City Chiefs, based on Andy Reid's repeated full-throated endorsements of Eric Bieniemy and what he means to the Chiefs program, to their offense, to their system, I think there has to be something significant going on behind the scenes or that the NFL, when doing their due diligence, knows something in Eric Bieniemy's background that they're not comfortable with, there has to be something that's holding him back from becoming a head coach. 
And Biennemi this week was hired as the offensive coordinator and play caller for the Washington Commanders. And on the surface, I don't really understand the move. Because when you look at the, the success that Eric Bieniemy has had alongside Andy Reid with Patrick Mahomes, winning two Super Bowls in the last four years, going to three Super Bowls, I, I think it's a really significant risk to leave that environment, that program, that system, to go to the dysfunction of the Washington Commanders to call plays for Sam Howell, a quarterback. But there's the difference. And there's the big bet. And I, I, in a lot of ways, I commend enemy for taking the leap betting on himself to go and call plays for the Washington commanders because if there are no other skeletons if there are no other reasons if the reason is what we all kind of think it might be the NFL struggling to commit to hiring minority head coaches and specifically black head coaches if that's the only issue then going to call plays is a brilliant masterstroke by Eric Bieniemy, because he'd get to call plays and he would raise his profile outside of the shadow that's cast by Andy Reid and the shadow that's cast by Patrick Mahomes. I think professional, you're taking a risk that you're not going to reach those heights again, that your career might have apexed in that miniature dynasty of the Kansas City Chiefs. But if he does well, if Bieniemy does well and he leads the commanders to a top 12 offense in the league, if they win nine or 10 games, if they're an NFC wild card, then we're going to go through this all again next offseason. And we're going to look at Eric Bieniemy probably in an even more impressive light than we have in the past because he did it with the Washington commanders. And that's a really talented roster. Brian Johnson at running back, he's an emerging talent, especially after what he had to go through last year just to get on the field. Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, really dynamic wide receiving core. There are weapons there. So if the commanders win 9, 10, 11 games, if they go to the NFC playoffs, then there's a chance we're going to look at Eric Bieniemy the same way that we looked at D'Amico Ryans this year as one of the top coaching candidates. Ryan's, of course, took the Houston Texans job, could have had walk into any destination, could have had that job. He chose to go home to Houston. I think it's a good fit. But there's this notion out there. Again, I, I wholeheartedly disagree with this, that if the enemy does well, but the commanders falter, that they'd fire Ron Rivera and promote the enemy. Now, maybe that's the case late in the year, but think that through just a little bit. If the commander's offense is a top 12 or top 10 offense in the league, in what world, especially in the NFC where it's basically the Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco 49ers defense, and everybody else, in what world, if you have a top 10 to 12 offense in the NFC, are you not pushing for the playoffs? And if that's the case, in what world do you fire the head coach if you're pushing for the playoffs? And if things are going miserable, if the commanders are, you know, four and eight, at some point in the season and it's not going well, chances are the offense isn't firing on all cylinders. Chances are if they're firing Ron Rivera, I don't know that they're promoting Eric Bieniemy. And if they promote Eric Bieniemy at four and eight, I don't know that he's any more than an interim head coach. So the big bet and the reason I commend Bieniemy a little bit for betting on himself here is that he can go and call plays, elevate that offense, get to the postseason, and then get out. I don't think he's some sort of head coach in waiting for Ron Rivera to get whacked because I don't know that Ron Rivera gets fired. And if he does, I don't know that Biennemi is the answer for the interim role or long-term. We've seen it in other places where the interim coach 
coaches five, six games and then doesn't get the full-time gig. I hope it works out. I really hope the enemy goes there, does well, calls plays, offenses humming on all cylinders and gets a job next year because I think that he deserves it based on the track record on the field alone. I think the enemy deserves to be a head coach. And now he gets the chance to go out and earn it in what is a more difficult situation to build than he had in Kansas City. Speaking of building, the Raiders, man, after letting go of Derek Carr, they certainly need to build something out there in Las Vegas. And they need to figure out pretty quickly what to do at the quarterback position. Because like we talked about with the Jets, it's not a whole lot different in Las Vegas. Sure, they have Devontae Adams. Sure, they have Josh Jacobs. Sure, they have Darren Waller. They have weapons. I don't know that you can name me four defensive starters for the Las Vegas Raiders. Therein lies the problem. The other problem is, who's a quarterback? And during Super Bowl week on Radio Row, I, I did an appearance on the Las Vegas Radio, Raiders radio network and basically said the, the way that they make the postseason is they get the quarterback situation right and they bring Patrick Graham into the general manager's office with Josh McDaniel and they sit down and they say, what do you need? What caliber of player do you need on defense to take this to the next level? Similar to what happened in Philadelphia this past year where they went and they got Kazir White, James Bradbury, Hassan Reddick. They brought all these guys in traded for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson because they fit Jonathan Gannon's vision, his scheme, and his defense. The Raiders need to do that. But before they can address rebuilding the defense, they need to figure out what to do at quarterback. So I picked up the phone. I had a pretty lengthy conversation with a personnel executive in the NFC, and he told me that the two names to watch, and they're no surprise, they're the same names that have been, that have been floated, are Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Rodgers won Garoppolo a, a clear two. I really think those are the, the two most realistic options for the Las Vegas Raiders. Because if you're not getting one of those two, you're drafting someone, right? You're moving heaven and earth to go get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young or Will Levis. You're doing whatever you can to get a rookie quarterback. So I think the best two options for the Raiders are Rodgers if he leaves Green Bay, and I think the Raiders are one of those teams along with the Jets who will be in the bidding war to pry Rodgers away from the tundra. We're going and getting Jimmy Garoppolo because of the familiarity with Josh McDaniel's scheme. Obviously, Tom Brady hopped off the quarterback carousel or else I think he would have wound up there or been very serious in the conversation there. But I think Jimmy Garoppolo makes a lot of sense. And I talked to a scout about just throwing out the possibility of, what about a Baker Mayfield? What if Baker Mayfield winds up in Las Vegas? And he laughed at me. So, you know, I, I don't think that I could copy and paste ha 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 enough to give justice to the text message that I got in return to the possibility of Baker Mayfield going to the Raiders. Because if you're bringing in Baker Mayfield, you're bringing him in as a bridge to Bryce Young, to CJ Stroud, to Will Levis, to rookie quarterback X. And I don't think, and certainly the scout who texted me that reply back doesn't think that Baker Mayfield has it in him to be that bridge quarterback, to be that mentor to whoever the quarterback of the future is for the Raiders. So when I look at their situation, I think it comes down to whatever Aaron Rodgers decides, whatever they can do in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo, if Rodgers decides he's not going to play again and going to retire or that he's going to go back to the Packers, then I think they go all in on Jimmy Garoppolo, and they probably should. And when you look at Garoppolo, the win-loss record, it speaks for itself. The productivity in the postseason speaks for itself. 
And you got to do something there and do it quickly because the players we mentioned at the top, they're not getting any younger. And you're going up against a division that has Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Russell Wilson with a head coach in Sean Payton who might be best suited to resurrect his career. And speaking of the Denver Broncos, and speaking of Russell Wilson, I had a conversation with an NFL coordinator currently in the league on some of the best fits for Saquon Barkley in free agency. And if you're the Raiders, you got to be kind of worried about one of these situations being the Denver Broncos. Because I had a coordinator tell me that when you look at the Broncos situation, Saquon Barkley is an ideal fit because Russell Wilson needs a running game. And Sean Payton, because of Barkley's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, could draw up a scheme that uses Barkley similarly to how he used Alvin Kamara in New Orleans. And when you look at Barkley's perspective on this, he's going to want to go to where he can make the most money, right? He's going to go for top dollar with the hope of staying in a major market. And ideally, I think for Saquon Barkley, his best fit now is the New York Giants. Barkley's best fit, and I think he's built for New York from a marketing and persona standpoint. When you look at him on the field, finally in Brian Dable after a conversation last year figured out that you need to get Saquon Barkley the ball in space, and all of a sudden he has the most productive season of his career. The best scheme fit and the best marketing fit for Saquon Barkley is the New York Giants. But according to the New York Post, there's a gap in terms of what Barkley is asking for and what the Giants are willing to pay. So there's a very real possibility here that Saquon Barkley hits free agency. And if he does, as that coordinator pointed out, the Denver Broncos are a great fit. So too are the Miami Dolphins. Think about this. This is what I was told by a coach in the NFL, quote, a spot like Miami would be a dream, unquote. Because teams have to play light boxes to account for the speed at receiver with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and then cover running backs like Saquon with linebackers because you have to keep the safeties over the top to protect against the receiver and the tight end. That would give Barkley a huge production value, and they could use him very similarly to the way the 49ers use Christian McCaffrey, unquote. Just think about that. And Miami is still a pretty decent market. It's South Beach. Dan Marino made a hell of a career as a spokesperson, spending his whole career with the Miami Dolphins. And if you drop Saquon Barkley into a system with two-way quarterback, with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill, whatever you do at tight end, whether you bring back Mike Gesicki, Mike you're going... And whatever you do at tight end, whether you bring back Mike Gesicki or you go into free agency and get the best tight end available, that's a myriad of weapons that you can attack a defense in a lot of different ways. Got to respect over the top. Got to put safeties up there. Got to worry about Saquon as a runner, Saquon as a receiver. Oh, yeah, Tua can move a little bit too. I think that's interesting. And I, and I think it's interesting that coaches inside the league believe that two best fits for Saquon Barkley are the Denver Broncos and the Miami Dolphins. And wherever Barkley lands, there has to be some real caution taken by whoever signs him to that next deal of the landscape of running backs whose production just falls off a cliff in the second second contract of their careers. That would be the caution that you have if you're going all in on Saquon Barkley. But when I look at his production, I look at how he finished last year so strong outside of the playoff loss to Philadelphia where they just completely took Saquon out of the game 
where the coaching staff didn't really utilize Saquon Barkley to a significant extent, either against Minnesota or the Eagles in the postseason. The body of work for Saquon Barkley last season shows me that there's at least three pretty good years left in that tank. And I think he winds up signing for somewhere between 12 and 14 and a half million dollars. I think that's where it winds up. Very well might wind up back in New York. Very well might wind up getting tagged if the Giants come to a reasonable extension with Daniel Jones. But if he goes elsewhere, I think the Broncos get a lot better with Saquon Barkley. I think that the Dolphins, based on everything they did a year ago, they could win a playoff game or two with Tua taking another step in a second year in that system and dropping Barkley into his arsenal. Something to watch, a lot to watch in the coming weeks, in free agency, in the NFL draft coming up. We're going to be in Indianapolis next week. We're going to be live from Indy at the NFL Combine. It should be a lot of fun, obviously getting to reveal some of the things that we've heard in the back rooms, in the cigar bars of of Indianapolis at Prime 47 Steakhouse. I'll be sure to get the the St. Elmo's Shrimp Cocktail that's so famous. Hopefully get some scoops, get some nuggets, get some tidbits of news that we can talk about on the podcast in the coming weeks. This has been a lot of fun. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, SoundCloud. Check us out on Heavy's new video portal. You're going to love it. Check it out. That's where this podcast is going to be housed and all of our analysis of the NFL moving forward from here. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Check me out on Heavy.com. Thanks, as always, to producer extraordinaire Thomas Darrow. Does a tremendous job each and every week behind the glass. He's instrumental to getting this podcast up and running each and every week. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show presented by Heavy Sports.